Well, this evening we're going to look together at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We've begun looking at the Beatitudes, uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, part of teaching that Jesus was giving specifically to his disciples. The crowds were also there. People were glad to hear him teaching. They came in great numbers to listen to him. But this teaching was particularly for those who were his followers, his disciples. And they were people who had experienced a radical change in their lives. They had been born again of God's spirit. And that experience of new birth had changed them. They were not the people that they were before. Uh, They were not uh, the final product. A a good work had begun in them, but it was a work that was characterized by certain things. And and Jesus mentions them in the Beatitudes. Jesus told Nicodemus, who came to him one night, uh, asking him questions. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus was a very religious man, but he needed to know this new birth, this radical change, and to be born of water and of the Spirit. And when a person has been born again of the Spirit of God, there are new attitudes, new characteristics, new behavior in their lives. Uh, Paul speaks when he writes to the Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit, and he talks about it being love, joy, Peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you know, those are exotic fruits. Uh, We enjoy fruits from all over the world. Uh, For breakfast this morning, we had some raspberries that came from Morocco. Uh, They don't grow in this country so much at this time, but they can be brought from another country. And uh, so the fruit of the Spirit is, is a change that comes about in our lives where our behavior is not like the, our behavior before we knew the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not like the behavior of people around us. As you think of that list of things that are characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, you think, well, that's not what we see in life generally in the world. And it wasn't in us either unless the Lord Jesus Christ has changed us and God's Spirit has worked in us. And uh, that's what's happened to these men. They're they're not the men that they were. And that change is going on in them. And uh, sometimes it's difficult to understand what's going on in us. And and some of the things that we feel and some of the things we experience are not things that on the face of them seem to be blessed. We began with the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Normally we don't think of true happiness as being linked with poverty, spiritual poverty, or with mourning and sadness. And so too with this beatitude, it's, there's a something strange about it. Blessed are the meek, and we need to understand what meekness is. Meekness is not weakness. It's not a sort of spinelessness. And uh, someone who's subservient to a fault, so you, you can just... Uh, drive over them without worrying what they feel because they've they've got no convictions, really. That's not what meekness is. 
that sort of attitude is not a blessing to us and nor is it a blessing to others. And uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, we are told, was meek. He was gentle. Um, Charles Wesley's hymn, a children's hymn, says, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. And there are people who misunderstand that. And they, they tend to think that therefore Jesus was somehow a sort of incipient character, a, a colorless character, an innocuous character, a sort of general vague ph- philanthropist uh, with a sentimental sort of love. But actually the character of Jesus as being meek and mild and gentle was a, a strength. It was testimony to him being the son of God. Uh, it was a, a sign that he was in control of himself and of every situation into which he came. So a person who is meek is gentle and submissive uh, in themselves, conscious of their own frailties. That, of course, is not true of the Lord Jesus, but it's true of us, uh, that we we know our weaknesses. We, We don't often talk about that to each other, but... But every one of us is struggling with our old nature. There's a conflict going on in us. The good things we want to do, we don't do. And we often feel total failures. That's why we feel poor in spirit. And we we often mourn about our spiritual state. And uh, so we've got a, a view of ourselves that recognizes our need. But also in relation to God and to other people, there is a, a meekness. There's a humility. There's a... Uh, not so much self-control, but being under God's control, under his restraining. Uh, one of the definitions of the word that is used for meek here is that it's a positive moral quality of dealing with people in a kind manner, with humility and consideration. And you think, well, that's so different, isn't it, from the, the world around us, uh, the media And the things we hear about, the people who are there and all the things they're telling us, well, they're not meek. They they don't consider that to be a a desirable characteristic or indeed to be blessed. But Jesus says to these men who have experienced a great change that it is a blessed situation to be in. In fact, the word is used sometimes of of animals that have been trained, uh, a tamed animal uh, that is under its master's control. Uh, For instance, it might be true of a horse. Uh, During the summer when the Olympic Games were on and uh, we were on holiday, we we watched uh, some of the dressage and the horses under the control of their rider. Most remarkable thing. The rider doesn't seem to be doing anything. But the horse changes its stride and uh, is, is under total control because they've been trained. And it's an admirable thing, isn't it, to see a an animal that is behaving in that way. And a to- it was a wild animal naturally, but it's not like that now. It's been trained. Or perhaps you've seen a, a sheepdog at work. And that's an amazing thing, isn't it? To think of a man just whistling and the dog stops or moves or runs and gathers in the sheep. And it's a lovely thing to go to a sheepdog trial and to see the different sheepdogs working and the shepherd working and You think of meekness, that's the kind of characteristic. A person who's under God's control. By nature we're not like that. By nature we want to do what we want to do. We're self-assertive. But when we are born again, when we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour, there's a great change 
and uh, our lives come under his management, his direction. And as we grow in grace, we want that to be more and more uh, the case. There are biblical examples of that. You think of the Apostle Paul when he was Saul of Tarsus. And there was a lot of self-will. There was a lot of pride. You know, he talked about the fact that his righteousness, according to the law, was, was far greater than anybody else. And uh, he was a violent man, he says. And in Acts 9, when he was on his way to Damascus uh, to arrest Christians, whether men or women, and to take them as prisoners to Jerusalem, we're told that he was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He not only wanted them imprisoned, he wanted them to be put to death. And then suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. Suddenly, he's in the presence of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, who asks him a question. Uh, well, God will one day call all of us to account. And uh, Paul is called to account at that point. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul asks, who are you, Lord? He suddenly realizes that he's in the presence of a divine person. And he's changed, he, he's, he's blinded, and he, he, he has begun an encounter with the living Lord, who said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And then he said this to Paul, now get up. And go into the city and you will be told what you must do. You see, he's no longer under his control. He's under the control of the Lord. His self-will and pride are broken and meekness is created. When he writes to the Corinthians in his second letter, he says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And uh, that word compels, controls, constrains us. It, the, one of the ideas behind it is of, of water rushing through a narrow space, perhaps between two rocks, and it can't go one way or the other. It just has to go in that direction. And Paul is saying that now that he knows the Lord Jesus, now he's been born again of the Spirit of God, it's Christ's love that compels him. This man who was breathing murderous threats, is now constrained, compelled by the love of Christ. He's a different man. There's meekness in him. And we're told about Moses, who was one of the great leaders of history. An amazing task that he fulfilled. And we're told in Numbers 12 that he was a very humble, a very meek man. More humble, more meek than anyone else on the face of the earth. You think of his doubts and his uncertainties when first he was called that he should go to Pharaoh and he didn't feel able to do it. And yet he fulfilled a great task. And that's why we must never think of meekness as being weakness. You can be a meek person and it's a, it's a strength because Moses was acting act at the direction of God. And he met with God face to face and uh, was in fellowship with God. And of course, if a man's in fellowship with God, of course he is going to be humble. It, it's our lack of knowledge of God that, that leads to pride and, and self-importance. And then of our Lord himself, Peter writes in his first letter, chapter 2, 
when he's exhorting Christian slaves to be submissive to their masters. He says to this, you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Human nature responds in kind. If you treat me like that, I'll treat you like that. But Jesus, in in the uh, utmost of of suffering and trial, uh, did not retaliate. He made no threats because he was under the control of his father. And uh, he had received the spirit without measure. And he simply entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And so a meek person is someone who's submissive even when provoked, willing to suffer rather than to inflict injury or harm, willing to leave everything in the hands of him who loves and cares. And you think, well, that's not something that's in me, in you, naturally. It's something that only God can bring about in us. That's why these Beatitudes are not commands telling us what to do, but saying, this is what a Christian is like. This is the work of the Spirit in the heart of a person who knows the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are meek towards God. That's where it begins. Our Godward attitude must be right first. Very often people who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour can be quite assertive uh, in terms of their attitude to God. Why has God allowed this to happen? When I meet him, I've got a few things that I want to tell him. And you realise there's a, a total ignorance about who God is and what it means to be in his presence. Uh, But once we realize who God is, then it brings about a change in our spirit, in our whole attitude to him. In fact, there can be no real morality, no real righteousness, until we've humbled ourselves before God. Uh, When Naaman uh, was seeking a, a healing and he went to Israel and Elisha told him to go and wash seven times in the Jordan, he was angry. And uh, his servants reasoned with him and said, well, why don't you do what the prophet has said? Perhaps that's your problem. You're not a Christian and you know it. And one of the reasons is because you're not willing to do what the gospel commands you to do. And that's where conversion begins. We turn from our sins and repentance and we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's what God commands us to do. And you see, the Pharisees, they were very religious. They were, they were very righteous, very self-righteous, but they knew nothing of that gentleness and of that humility of spirit. And religion puffs us up. Religion makes us feel we're better and uh, we have some rights that we can claim before God. But it's only when we realize our, whole, our real need that meekness begins. And uh, our whole approach to God is submitting to him. In the prophet Micah, uh, we read, He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy, that is kindness, and to walk humbly 
with your God. That's what a meek, that's what a believer does. They walk humbly with their God. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. I am what I am by the grace of God. And in fact, I'm a work in progress and I'm struggling in so many ways. And it also involves accepting God's providences, which are not always easy, in a submissive way. We know the story of Job, uh, who was a, a blameless and a righteous man. And, and God declares him to be so uh, to Satan. And uh, then we see Job's response when he, he loses all his possessions and he even loses his family, his children. And uh, we're told that he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And he goes on to question, to try to understand what's going on in him because his so-called comforters tell him that he must have done something terribly wrong uh, to have so many sufferings. But in the end, through it all, through all his questioning, Job meets God. He comes face to face with him. I'd heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you and I repent. You see, a humble man and the providences come that are difficult promises. And he says, well, God gave and he took away. And his name in whatever situation I am is to be praised. That doesn't mean to say it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean there's no pain. It's just saying that there's that submission to God that we are in his hands and in his care. In the words of Paul to the Romans, we know that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him, who are being called according to his purpose. Through all the ups and downs of life and all the experiences, joys and sorrows that come, God is working for our good. And uh, one day we shall come forth and his work will be complete. Uh, the Christians to whom the letter to the Hebrews was written uh, were from a Jewish background, and because they accepted Jesus as the Messiah, they had been persecuted. And uh, the writer says to them, because he wants to encourage them to keep going and not turn back, he says, remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. These are new converts. Uh, they were experiencing such tremendous opposition, the kind of opposition which converts in Muslim societies experience today. And he says, because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. And people might have come and said to them, why don't you just go back? to where you were. Why don't you just return uh, to the bosom of the Jewish community and no longer believe in Jesus and you won't suffer anymore? But there's a, a gentle submission to God's providence and an acceptance of his ways uh, because they knew the promises of the gospel. So meekness to God, humbly walking with God. Is, is that what we are doing this evening? Uh, in our daily life, we're, we're walking with God and trusting him in all the ups and downs of, of life. And then there's a meekness towards other people too, in our attitude towards others. Um, because 
we, we're under God's control and it begins to affect us in our relationship with each other and with those around us. And it shows itself in a number of ways. For instance, in how we bear injuries, uh, insults, uh, injuries in the sense that people do things which, which are painful and hurtful to us. And it happens. It happens within Christian communities. It happens in the world generally. And a meek person doesn't respond in a hasty way, in a hasty spirit. It doesn't mean to say that they don't feel uh, righteous anger and indignation. Uh, there's no contradiction in being meek and, and, and feeling injustice strongly. But it's a controlled response in a, on the right grounds, against the right people, in the right way, at the right moment, for the right time. It's not an outburst of anger. And Jesus, for instance, cleansed the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, they had uh, started buying and selling animals and exchanging money in the court of the Gentiles, a place that God had provided for non-Jewish people to come and to seek him and to worship him. And uh, we're told in John's Gospel that as the Passover was coming, Jesus went into the temple and he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle, scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. This is a gentle Jesus, but there is a cause of righteousness to be maintained. And he has zeal for the temple which God has established for his worship. And it consumes him. It's an all-absorbing commitment that he has. Uh, and it's all under God's control. So there's not a hasty spirit because of his control by his spirit. Nor is a malicious spirit. A desire to hurt and to harm by word or action. It's so easy, isn't it, to to speak an unkind word. James says that if we can tame our tongues, uh, then it's a significant thing in knowing that fruit of the spirit of self-control. And uh, to do things that are hurt, to, to strike back, again, that, that's so often a, a human response. Revenge, uh, getting your own back. Communities around the world that, that know little of the gospel Revenge is, is a, a common thing. If something happens, uh, then you retaliate. You, you get your own back. A friend of mine was visiting India some years ago and he was traveling with a Christian involved in a ministry in, in India and they were driving through a poor area. And my friend, it was very hot, he was feeling a bit tired, he was sort of half asleep and suddenly heard a bang as this car uh, hit a child in the road. A child had run out and uh, had been knocked over. There was nothing the driver could do. And uh, the driver got out and saw the child was seriously injured. And uh, he took my friend and he, he said, I'm, I'm putting you in a taxi and I'm, I'm getting you back to a place of safety. And my friend was put into a taxi and he was rushed off and he was really traumatized by what happened. And uh, later he heard the story, this man, this Christian who was driving the vehicle, knew that because he had injured the boy, there was every possibility that the community would take instant retaliation and revenge against him, because that was the culture. 
And uh, so he went to the boy and he picked him up and uh, he carried him to a, a medical facility that was not far away. And uh, he waited for the family to come and, and he wondered what the outcome would be, how he would suffer. You have hurt our son. He was a boy of, of limited ability. He was also uh, one from the untouchable class, the lowest caste. And then the family came and uh, the father came in and he saw the man. He said, are you the man who knocked my son down? And the driver said, yes, I am. He said, what's that blood on your shirt? He said, well, I, I picked your boy up and, and carried him here in order he might get help. And the father said, that's amazing. No one has ever shown kindness to this boy. He's an untouchable. And you must have loved my son if you picked him up and carried him. And there wasn't revenge. But, but that was what society would normally do. That would happen. There would be payback. But, but meek people don't pay back. And they don't want to get their own back. They don't want to sinfully use their tongue to lash somebody with the things that they say. They're not resentful. They don't bear grudges and dwell on injuries. You know, there are people who remember years and years after it has happened what somebody said and what somebody did, but meek people don't do that. Christian people don't do that. John Newton, in his uh, hymn, One Above All Others, well deserves the name of friend, has a verse which says, could we bear from one another what he daily bears from us? Yet this glorious friend and brother loves us, though we treat him thus. Though for good we render ill, he accounts us brethren still. That, that, that's the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we're in need of daily forgiveness, and he daily bears with us. And we bear with one another. Uh, that's a, an illustration of meekness in bearing injuries and in forgiving injuries, forgiving people. Powerful exhortations in, in the epistles. In the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, Paul says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. A meek person forgives, uh, doesn't take it to heart, perhaps hurt by things that are done, but responds in a gracious way, uh, offering gladly forgiveness to others. Why? Well, because God in Christ has forgiven us. How has he forgiven us? Well, he's, he's forgiven us really. It's really true. It's, and it's from our hearts that we forgive others and we forget others. Isn't it sad that uh, the witness of congregations often are characterized by things that have happened that have not been resolved in the way that Paul is exhorting this. Without, there's no, been no forgiveness. There's been no forgetting what has been done. Uh, and extending to even the most grievous of, of injuries, the most grievous of sins, the most frequent of sins. You know, sometimes we say to somebody, don't we, well, I forgave you once, but you just keep on doing the same thing. I can't keep on forgiving you. But God does. He forgives us every day. And a meek person is conscious of that, of their daily dependence upon God's grace. And that affects how they relate to others. Peter asked, didn't he, how often should I forgive? Seven times? And 
the Jewish teaching was not seven times. Peter thought he was doing really well offering that. But Jesus says, if your, your brother sins against you seven times in one day, rebuke him for his sin, but when he repents, forgive him. And uh, the response is from the disciples, increase our faith. But that's the characteristics of a characteristic of Christian community, Christian fellowship, a forgiving spirit. And Jesus is saying, people who are meek before God and meek before one another are blessed. It, it's a source of true happiness. Not to be meek, not to respond in that way, is definitely not blessed for the person themselves or indeed for others either. So Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You see, there's that feeling, isn't there, in the world, that the, the world belongs to the powerful. The earth belongs to those who are strong. Uh, the, work, work, the earth belongs to those who assert their rights and stand up for them. And we live in that kind of society. But Jesus says, no, it's the meek who are blessed. For it's they who inherit the earth. That's true now, in our enjoyment of, of this life, our life in this world. An inheritance is a possession that comes to us in the course of time, and meek people inherit the earth. They, because they've got their priorities right. Uh, in the words of Jesus, they're seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And he's giving them everything that they need. The natural tendency is to seek everything we need and then if we have time, if we have the opportunity to do something for God. But Jesus says, no, don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink, but seek first his kingdom and he'll give it to you. What a wonderful thing it is to live in dependence upon God. Not to be laying up treasure on earth where moth and rust consume and thieves break through and steal, but to be laying up treasure in heaven, seeking God's kingdom. And it's those who do that, do that who who are blessed in this world because they inherit the earth. They enjoy life in this world. People often think when you become a Christian, you give up all kinds of things, and there are things that you stop doing. And there are things that you don't do because you have other priorities. But that doesn't diminish the quality of life. That enhances the quality of life. And the more we seek his kingdom and his righteousness, the more we inherit the earth. And then to know in this life what it means to live in fellowship with God, to be trusting him. Psalm 37 is a, a lovely psalm. It's a great place to go when you want to be encouraged. It's an acrostic using the different letters of the Hebrew alphabet. But it's got some lovely exhortations and some lovely promises. Here are some of them. This is what a meek person does. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Trust, delight, commit your way. What a blessing that is to do that. Here's someone who's humbly walking with God. Here's someone who's relating to others, not holding grudges, not being resentful, forgiving sins. And, and it's all to do with the Lord. And they live in the land and they enjoy safe pasture and they're blessed.
Again, in that same psalm, better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. And often we see in this world, as you look at other countries where, where people are believers and, and have nothing like the, the wealth that we have, that every day they're just trusting in the Lord. And he's with them and he provides for them. And uh, he's faithful to them. He upholds them. They know the fulfillment of that promise in Proverbs. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth. What, what is real wealth? It, it's the blessing of the Lord. What enables us to enjoy life in, on this earth? It's the blessing of the Lord. And he's the one who makes us rich in the riches that really matter. The riches that really count. And it's in our relationship with him that we know peace. And, and our society is a, is a troubled society. And people have mental health problems because of situations that, that they experience. And you can understand that they are traumatic experiences. And uh, people can't get over things that have happened. And then you think of this, this lovely promise in Isaiah, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. That's meekness, trusting in the Lord, living under his care, knowing that he's with us in every situation, and uh, letting him guide us and direct our steps, and knowing that peace which passes understanding, guarding our hearts and minds. And, and you think, yes, what a blessing that is to know his peace. So we experience it in this life as we inherit the earth, but it also has regard to the future also. We were thinking this morning of entering the promised land, and uh, the promised land is in some ways a, a picture of, of heaven, that ultimate rest for the people of God, that new heaven and that new earth in which righteousness dwells, and that lovely vision that John has. He's an elderly man, he's the last surviving apostle, He's on the island of Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and he sees a great revelation of Jesus. And the wonderful things are revealed to him and in chapter 21 of that book he says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Who will inherit that new heaven and earth? The meek. And that's why they are blessed. And It's a lovely picture, isn't it? The, the bride on her wedding day. Every man who is married, as he, he sees his bride on the wedding day, sees her as the woman that he loves, prepared for the wedding, uh, coming to make promises and vows to each other. And this new creation, this new Jerusalem, which comes from heaven from God, is, is just like a beautiful bride dressed for her husband. And then he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying 
or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And that world belongs to those who've been born again, who know the Lord Jesus Christ, and who are blessed because they are meek. It isn't because they've asserted themselves, but because they've humbled themselves before God and walked humbly with him in gentleness and lowly of heart. And of course, it's all of his grace. It's a gift that he gives to us. And yet, in a sense, it's a a rightful possession of those who have lived humbly in this world, probably largely unnoticed by people in general. No great uh, awards given to them, no honors given to them, but they've just quietly walked humbly with God. And in this life, they inherit the earth. And then, in eternity, they enjoy that new heaven and earth in which righteousness dwells. How wonderfully blessed. Do you know something of this meekness? So we've been thinking about how the Bible describes those who are meek. Can you say, yes, that's, that's me. It's an imperfect work at the moment. There's so much I've got to learn. There's so much I've got to grow in. But God has begun that good work in me. And I do want to work, walk humbly with him and to be kind and to be considerate and to be gentle in my dealings with others as he gives me strength. And if somebody comes and says to you, well, you know, you're a wonderful person, you say, but it's not me, it's not I, but through Christ in me. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit 